0: I yelled that without my microphone on. How about that? Good morning, Grace Fellowship. How's everyone doing this morning? You say God is good all the time. time. And yeah, most people know that. I am very excited to be with you this morning, very honored to be with you as we begin a new series, but it's really not just a new series. It's a whole new season. We believe God is calling us to a different level of engagement with him. And I want to ask that you would be kind enough to join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We come before you and acknowledge apart from you, we can do nothing. You are the vine, we are the branches. If we remain in you, we will bear much fruit. So Lord Jesus, we thank you that we cannot abide in you and remain the same. We acknowledge before you, Lord, as sinful people, we like to be comfortable. But God, you did not call us to be comfortable, but you've called us to glorify you. So we pray now in the precious name of Jesus Christ that you would guide our time together, Lord. And most of all, that you would have your will and your way in our lives. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. We do pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything. The name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Amen. Well, I'd like to introduce you to our new series called The Way of the Worshipper. So if you have your packet, you can just take out your little booklet. You have some other things in there, too. You have a piece of cardstock, a bookmark, and a refrigerator magnet, which I seem to be missing in my bag. Maybe somebody throw me a refrigerator magnet just for the meantime. I promise I'll get it back to you. Thank you so much, Chris. I can give it back to you on Tuesday, right? Thank you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So I want you to take a look at the booklet for a minute. And I want to point out to you that over the next eight weeks, we're not going to be doing our typical note handout outline. There is a note taking place in your booklet. So for instance, on page seven, today we're going to talk about awakening the slumbering spirit. There's just a blank page there for you to take notes, okay? So this is the way you'll be handling your note taking over the course of the next eight weeks. Now, if I decide to give you something extra, I'll print that out and we'll, you know, get it out to you each week but I wanted you to have this in hand in case you're a note taker, okay? And we'll walk through the book a little bit later as well. So as I mentioned uh, before, God has told us this is not just a new series. This is a new season. So I need you to ask a question to yourself quietly in your heart before God. Am I comfortable? Do I want to change? You know, so many of us kind of get to a place in our lives where we think, well, This is okay. This is good enough. I'll I'll settle for this. I'll accept what this is now because at least there's nothing horrible happening to me right now. At least there's no crisis happening in my life right now. This is good, God. Let's just stop here and then I'll wait till you come back or till you take me home. But you know, God is never okay with complacency. God is never okay with us just keeping the status quo. He says, no, I have more for you. I have more for you, my child, and you're only experiencing just a little bit of me right now. I want you to experience more of me. However, it's going to require faith, and it's going to mean that you become uncomfortable for the cause of my kingdom. So the question I have before you today is, are you ready to become uncomfortable? Amen. One man is ready to become uncomfortable. I will be preaching to you, my brother. Um, no, I want you to ask that question. It's kind of a, a question just answering the quietness of your heart, but I'm glad, Denny, you answered it out loud. That's good. So I, I want you to think, first of all, about last week. How many of you here heard Gianna last week? Okay, how many of you would say that was just, like, phenomenal? Like, Amen. it was amazing. Amazing, right? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> Applaud Jesus in that. I think she was incredible for a lot of different reasons. And if you haven't heard her message, I would encourage you to get online. We posted the 9 a.m. service, and I would encourage you to listen to that. Because it's not just about what she said, but it's about who she is. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But this morning, I have the honor of introducing to you, and for some of you, reintroducing to you, another hero of the faith, and another person who is amazing for God. Her name is Lauren Patterson, and at the time of this video, she was six years old. Now, you'll easily be able to identify her on the video. I did circle her as well, but she stands out in a crowd of other six- and seven-year-olds, and I just want you to take a listen, and I want you to ask yourself some questions as you're watching this. What in the world is going on with Lauren? Let's take a look.
1: There's revival in grave, Like a Singing in my soul, yes, I got a sweet sound.
0: Okay, so I'm sure you saw Lauren, right? I think Lauren is a hero of the faith. And I want to proclaim to you that there's something about Gianna and something about Lauren that I want. Anybody say amen to that? You know why? Because they're both showing us what it feels like to be free. Now, I want to tell you something. The objective of our time together is to become more like Lauren. And some of you are going to want to get up and walk out right now. Because you're like, Jeff, that little girl looks a little dorky. Yeah, maybe, but she looks dorky for the glory of God. And here's the thing. We are far too concerned with what we look like. Do you know what that's called? It's called self-worship. And God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's a couple of scriptures I just want you to look at to help at least get us started. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. That is a faith statement. That is a trust statement. He's saying until you become like little one of these little ones that's super dependent and knows it and who reaches up to daddy, you, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So how many of you, by show of hands, remember a time when you were a child when you were really free? Maybe you ran in a field. Maybe you played recklessly. Maybe you didn't care what other people looked looked at you like. You just danced freely. Can you reflect on a time when you were freer than you are now? Some of you are shaking your heads yes, and some of you, I would say, I'm so sorry that you grew up in a way that you don't remember a time like that, because there are people here who lived a very, very wounded and oppressive childhood, and you cannot remember a time. Wow, what just happened? Holy smokes. You cannot remember a time when you were free. But can I tell you something, God has more freedom for you than you could ever ask or imagine, but it does require trusting him and taking risks. For many of us, though, we can remember running in fields and through um, woods and, and dancing, and I had a place we used to call the creek by us. It's a creek, but we called it a creek. We used to go down to the creek. And the creek was filled with crawdads. It ain't now because I've gone back and I'm all crawdads are gone. I don't know why. But we used to get down there and, and catch crawdads and we would run through those woods and we would ride our bikes through those woods. And we were free and wild and we would yell and yelp like Native Americans. And I didn't say Indians. Native Americans. And we would, we would have a blast because we were free if you remember what it was like to be a little kid, little kids, you know, by the way, if they go into little um, classrooms of kindergartners and they say, hey, how many of you are dancers? And, And they all raise their hands. How many of you are singers? They all raise their hands. You go into a classroom full of middle schoolers and you ask the same question. How many of you are dancers? And maybe one or two will raise their hands. Timidly at that. How many of you are singers? Well, what happened to us? When did we give away our freedom? Jesus Christ same came to set the captives free. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. Say that after me. I'll say the first part. You say the second part. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. if the sun sets you free, you, are free indeed. you see, you are free. Indeed. Now, if you're here and you're in Christ Jesus, you are free. But you may not know it. And you may not be living like it. It's as if you were a prisoner in a cell, and Jesus comes and unlocks the door and swings it wide open. And you say, praise you, God, for unlocking the door, and yet you still remain in the cell. And he goes, what are you doing? Well, God, I'm praising you for my freedom. Yes, but you are not exercising your freedom. You haven't walked out into the sunshine, into the fields. You're not enjoying me the way you were created to. But but God, like there's so many things I'm worried about right now. Exactly. That's part of the problem. But God, there's so much responsibility. I'm the responsible one, he says. You, my child, are to enjoy my presence and be filled with my joy, and I have set you free. So what happened to us? Well, it's called planet Earth, and it's called sin. And that's what happened to us. I say our objective is not just to be like Lauren, or just to be like Gianna, or like Paul, or like David, or a whole litany of others who have experienced the freedom of God, more or less Jesus Christ. Our ultimate goal is to be like Jesus Christ. But these people love God passionately, and they show it. They show it. To a world around them, how how often have you seen a light that's effective under a bushel basket? See, Jesus talks about things like this. He says, light your light, so shine before men. What? That they would see your good works and worship your Father in heaven. You see, we need to let God work through us in such a way that we are released to shine. To be bright in a dark world. In Hebrews 13, 7, it has this scripture here. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Read this out out loud with me, please. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now look, I'm not asking you to be like Lauren. I'm not asking you to be like Gianna. I don't want you to do the same things they do. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to imitate the faith of those who have gone before you. It took faith to say some of the things that Gianna said last week. Um, And we all need models of the faith to go before us. That's what the scripture is saying. So I want you to bring to mind somebody who's a model of faith for you. That person lives free. They, They actually experience the presence of God and they trust him in ways that I want to, but that I'm afraid to. Brother Neil here in the body wrote on his Facebook page about the message from Gianna last week, and I asked his permission to read you the quote, and I thought it was amazing. Today's message at church was the most politically incorrect, offensive, in-your-face, gut-busting message I think I've ever heard at church, and it was absolutely beautiful. Thank you, with eight exclamation marks. I am so happy right now and so proud to call this church my church. Praise the Lord amen. So when you become free, you don't become free to be arrogant, but you become a very bold truth teller. You trust the Spirit in such a way that you can worship Jesus in the Walmart and in the Burger King and even in the McDonald's, although eating that food and worshiping God, I don't know how they go (laughs) hand in hand. But here's the thing, God made you to be alive. Are you alive? This stuff in the scripture that he writes about life and light and life abundantly, it's not just words, it's truth, it's reality. I can tell you 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I could have never stood up here and talked to you. Why can't I now? Because of Jesus Christ in my life. He is the one who set me free. It's him who I give glory to. Pastor Howard Thurman quoted this and it's one of my favorite quotes he said don't ask what the world needs ask what makes you come alive and do that because what the world needs is more people who have come alive God wants you to be passionate for him son of God God wants you to be so deeply in love with him daughter of God that wherever you walk you are adoring him you are praising him you are worshiping him you are in love with him Folks, I'm in love with my wife. We've been married 26 years. Is she here? No. Okay, 26 years. Um, And so, and here's the thing. I love my kids. You know when people meet me who I talk about? I talk about Tracy. I talk about Zach. I talk about Michaela. I talk about Noah. Why? Because I love them. But here's the question. Do I talk about Jesus Christ more? The reason being is I want to love him more. I want to love him the most. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor just as yourself. This sums up all the law and all the prophets. Jesus is saying be passionate for God. Give him everything. Leave it all on the field. So we're gonna define worship during this series as simply this. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I, I gotta do this slide. Gaining freedom in Christ will require taking risks, and probably even risks that make us look foolish. However, we cannot follow Jesus and remain the same. Now, this is a staggering word for a lot of us who've been in the church for quite some time. Because we can reflect back on a time where we knew Jesus in the beginning, and we went, oh my gosh, that was amazing. My life was changing so incredibly. What's your story now? Well, I told you it was 20 years ago. No, no, what's your story now? today is Jesus writing a new story of freedom in your heart today can you say oh my gosh I can't believe how I trusted him yesterday and what he did can I tell you the story of what he did in my life just yesterday because a testimony that's 20 years old is a very very beautiful thing but a testimony that's as old as one day means that you are walking in the spirit You're trusting God now. And as a church, we as elders need to proclaim to you that we do not want to remain the same. Now, Some of you may get upset about that because you're comfortable. The changes that we see coming, and by the way, we're not planning any weird thing here, so just calm down. (laughs) Take a breath, okay? Nobody, like we don't know what Jesus is going to do. Here we know what this is. We want to be free. We want to be freer than we are now. We want to lead in the region in worship. Can I tell you what that looks like? You know, Alex Gilbert, who's our director of pastor of students here, and before him, Joey McLaughlin, they've done an incredible job of pastoring students here at Grace Fellowship Church. And years ago, when I was able to walk into the student ministry, I mean, it, there was good things going on. This is a long time ago when we first started, but you really couldn't tell that the students were in love with God. I just want to say that. By looking at them, you couldn't tell that. And then, as elders, we walked once into the youth center when it was over there. And there was 150 kids in the room and they were all arms extended, singing glory to God and praising God with their whole bodies and we went, oh my gosh, Jesus. That's what we've wanted to see. That's what we've longed to see in our students. And that's by the grace of God through Alex and through those around him who lead that they actually came to a place where they experienced greater freedom in the way that they worship God. Fast forward, they go to a lock in. And the lock in is churches all around the region. And Alex comes back to me and he says, Jeff, our students led. What did that mean? That meant that those students went in among other students who weren't as free. They exercised their freedom, and guess what? Freedom is contagious. Can you say that with me? Freedom is contagious. The power of a community, because we are sheep, and sheep follow other sheep, the power of a community is that if you're radically free, you might start a fire in somebody else's heart. And so what happened was our students went in as a mobilized group of students who were lifting their arms and standing up and praising God. And then other students looked around them and they went, "Well, I guess it's okay to do the same thing." And then they stood up and they raised their arms. It's not about raising arms. It's about being free. It's about being free to sit still if you need to sit still. It's about being free to shout if you need to shout. Anybody need to shout? There you go, praise the Lord. A couple people need to shout. It's about being free to dance as long as your dancing doesn't interfere with somebody else's sitting. (laughs) Right? So as we talk about this, we need to talk about respect and order. But we also need to talk about trusting the spirit to move in us if we have been given a spirit of freedom. And if we don't exercise that freedom, if we buy into some church script that says, hey, uh, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. This is the way you need to act when you come in here we have blown it big time because that's not what I see in the scripture. As I've said, David danced half naked before God. I can promise you I am not doing that (laughs) and we will not be asking you to go that far. Now at home, what you do there is your own business but you are alive in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're alive in Christ. You're free in Christ, but you may not know it, and I have to say to you that this will require taking some risks, and it will require you potentially looking foolish, and I can tell you the times that I've trusted Jesus and took a risk to look foolish, my heart is beating fast, I am flushed, I am completely uncomfortable, and I am walking by faith, and God is glorified. If somebody's telling you that you can follow Christ and remain comfortable, they are buying something, that you, they're selling something that you should not buy. The scripture does not say that your comfort is paramount to God's purpose. His glory is the most important thing in your life. And yes, he loves you, and yes, he wants to give you a deep peace. Can I tell you what will give you a deep peace more than anything? Taking risks for the glory of God. Because when you jump, then he sustains you and you go, oh my gosh, he's there. And then you can jump again and you have greater peace when you jump again. The problem is the cliff gets higher, a little bit higher every time. And God's saying, I am growing you up, my son. I am growing you up, my daughter. You see, he longs for you to know him in a mature way so that you are free. So we're defining worship today as this Where's my slide? There it is. A passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in Him. Say that after me, please. A passionate and loving response to the reality of who God is and who we are in Him. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, all oh my most being. Praise His holy name. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, this is the word Barak. We're going to talk about this in a few minutes. But if you want to see this definition flushed out in one place in Scripture, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. If you want to know what worship looks like, you can go anywhere in the Scripture and see what worship looks like. But if you want to kind of get the textbook on worship, the textbook on praise, that's the book of Psalms. And see, God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And if you want to experience him in the fullness, you must, you must be spending time in his word. You listen to his spirit, you go to his word, and you dwell with his people. Spirit, his word, and his people. The most important things that he's given us to sustain us and grow us up. Now, it's really important that I say the spirit first. And the reason being is, you know, many people have taken the word of God and used it for evil purposes. You do know that, right? I mean, the Pharisees and the scribes took the word of God and Jesus said, you heap it on people's backs like a huge weighty burden that you yourselves can't even bear. He's saying, you don't even know this God that you're talking about, for if you did, you would come to me, he said. So we need the spirit of God to guide us in the word of God. And as I've been preparing for this new season, I've encountered God in such beautiful ways that I pray you would too. So let me read to you. Psalm 103 of David, and I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop especially when you hear David talk about who God is or who he is in God and then his praise to God is a result of that. Praise the Lord, my soul. Oh, my inmost being, praise his holy name. You can circle holy. God is holy. That means he's set apart. He's different than everybody else. You see, God is. is is holy in every way. Now, when many of us hear that word, we can go, he's holy. And we become fearful. And can I tell you that some of that fear may be holy fear. Some of that fear may be this word called reverence and awe before God. The word barak here for praise, not to be confused with Barack Obama, but barak is this word for praise. And it means to kneel in reverence and awe before God god so kneel in reverence and awe before the lord my soul all my inmost being kneel with reverence and awe to his holy name god is holy praise the lord my soul and forget not all his benefits god is a benefactor god is the author of all good gifts who forgives all your sins he is a forgiver and heals all your diseases he is a healer who redeems your life from the pit he is a redeemer and crowns you with love and compassion, he is a loving God, compassion. He satisfies the desires of, of your with good things he 's the one who satisfies you, and your youth is renewed like eagles. He is the one who renews your strengths. the Lord works righteousness, he is righteous and justice for all the oppressed. He is just. I mean, we are six verses in, and do you see what God is doing through our brother david he 's revealing to David who he is. And if you truly know God for who He is, then the passion will come. Your passionate and loving response to who He is will come. But you need to be aware of just how good He is. He's so good. Keith, He's so good, man. Bob, He's like amazing. Isn't He Chris? Like He's incredible. Ron Joan, Isn't He incredible? I mean, He's like so amazing. And David is saying here, look, he's holy, he's my benefactor, he forgives me, he heals me, he redeems me, he loves me, he's compassionate, he satisfies me, he renews my strength, he's righteous and he's just. Now, this little verse comes in here, which confuses many people in 7. It seems like David just kind of has like a brain hiccup or something. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And then he goes back in. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Like, why does he throw that in? Why does he throw that in? You remember the Exodus, don't you? The Exodus is when God called about Moses to lead his people away from Egypt, out of bondage, out of captivity, into freedom, into the promised land. And Moses is listening to God and trusting God to lead God's people. Now, Do you remember what happened when Moses goes up to Sinai? When Moses kind of gets a little away from the people while he's trusting God, he leaves them in his care and he comes back, and what are they doing? They're worshiping idols. They've turned away from God. Why is it important that he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel? Moses knew God's heart. You see, God revealed his heart to Moses. He knew that he was loved. He knew that he was compassionate. He knew that he satisfied. He knew he was righteous. He knew about God's heart. Now, the people of Israel, they saw God's deeds. They saw what he did, but they didn't know his heart. Do you know God's heart for you? Do you know how much he loves you? Do you know how good he is to you? The scripture says that you who are evil want to give your children good gifts how many of you ever gave a kid a gift at Christmas time? Just raise your hand. How many of you were like super excited to give that gift to that kid? Yeah, you know, every year we've bought our kids, and of course they're 23 and 21 and 19 now. I just had a son who got married this past week. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? We love his new wife Ariana, and we're so excited for them. I just can't believe it. I, I'm watching this whole thing happen, and I'm like, what happened? They were just like this big. And now they're like this big. They're taller than me. I tell them I still can whoop them, though, for sure. (laughs) But you know, if you've ever been around a kid, had a kid, and you gave a kid the present, you were so excited for them to unwrap it so you could see their joy. And Jesus says, you who are broken, wounded, and evil, want to give your children good gifts. How much more so do you think your Father in heaven wants to give you? God gives you the gift of a day. He gives you the gift of a friend. He gives you the gift of a meal. And he just wants you to unwrap it with joy in your face so that he can go, Oh, I love giving that kid a good gift. Because he's so excited about you. He loves you because he is love. That's who he is. And Moses knew that about it. So, Moses, through the difficult time of people grumbling and turning to idols, he's still trusting God. Why? Because he knows his heart. And in verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's all about the mercy of God, mercy of God. And listen, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Circle, underline, highlight that verse. Because David now does it, what we call it, shift, pivot. He's talking about God, he's still talking about God, but he's now talking about us. And he's saying, now you have a new identity. Children of God, listen very, very carefully to this. You are no longer what you do. You are no longer what you don't do. Your performance does not equal your acceptance. This is so hard for us to understand because here on planet Earth, it means this. Hey, hey, you know, I'm in a relationship with you. I can only push you so far until you push away from me. I can only, I have to act a particular way so that you will love me because then I'll act like a loving person and you would be like a loving person. And God says, no, stop. I love you because I am love. And as far as the East is from the West, that's how far I've separated you, your identity from your transgressions. You were once a liar. You're no longer a liar. Now you're a saint who occasionally lies. You hear the difference? Parents, listen up. Please do not call your children liars. Don't do that. You're attaching their identity to their performance. You see, you are not what you do. You're a child of the most high God, deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, acceptable, and complete in him. You are God's kid. And man, if you get that in your soul, you will have reason for rejoicing. Say this, I am God's kid. And nothing in all of creation will ever separate me from his love. Now, if you let that go from your head to your heart, you will be bouncing out of here. I'm telling you because the weight that you live with, with a performance-based identity, is horrifying and horrible. How do I know? I've done it. I still struggle with it. But when I allow Jesus to take that weight off again, he says, no, you're my kid. You're not only as good as your last sermon, Jeff. You know, that's the pastor's plate. Monday morning can be a very depressing morning for pastors all across the world. The question is, did they hit it out of the park or did they bunt or did they strike out? And if every single one of us, sons and daughters of the Most High God who did this thing just knew very much, well, God still loves me. And that's what matters. What is it for you? What do you base your identity on? Maybe it's being a good dad. Maybe it's being a good mom. Maybe it's being a good worker. Maybe it's being this. Maybe it's being that. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you have some sin that you think you're hiding. But you you hide it for this reason because you're ashamed. You're so deeply ashamed of this sin. And you think, well, God can't accept me when I have this sin. Can I tell you something? He's been accepting sinners the whole time of creation. He's right there ready for you. You know who's trying to keep you away from him the evil one he's the one who pours forth condemnation on you he's the one who accuses you night and day before the throne room of god and god says no you come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh my gosh, dude, if we applied that to our lives, would we not be bouncing around? But we have to let this stuff in. As a father has compassion on his children or his kids, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. You can write the word dependent on that. Now in our culture, it's not a very popular notion to be dependent Right away, I get pictures of clingy people. Do you not? Walking around, I'm really dependent. Oh, please stay away from me. <laughs> because, you, you know, I remember when my kids, like, got to school and they were in high school. And they'd come home and they say, oh, my gosh, KK would say, that boy's a real clinger. And that meant he would to latch on to her and, like, not let go, you know. That's not what dependent means. It means that God is always intended to be your sustenance. He was always intended from the very beginning to be the one who gives you breath and the one who you rely on all the time. It's nothing shameful about being dependent on God. That's who we are. And God says he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a, field, a, field, a flower in the field. The wind blows over and it's gone. We're mortal here. And this place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the love's Lord is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He is the king. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I would encourage you to spend some time in this psalm this week. But here's my question to you. How awake are you to the reality of who God is and who you are in him? Because the more aware and awake you are, the more passionate you will be. The more you will respond to God with love and passion, it will just happen naturally. I'm not encouraging you over these next eight weeks to put anything on. You know, uh, the Christian facade is a horrible facade. It's just one of those things like, oh, you know, I'll encounter people who just went through a, a deep travesty. And, you know, people, we as Christians, we bleed when you cut us. I mean, that's true. We cry. We weep. But sometimes I think that people wear this facade like somehow they can't struggle because they're a Christian. That's not true. But what is true is that if you make the true connection, you will have so much to thank God for. You will be so passionate about him as you make that true connection. You will finally hear the music that David heard. You'll hear the music that Lauren's hearing. And and you'll start to move to that music. Now look, I want to show you a little graphic here. And I want you to just ask yourself a question. How awake am I? Because it's a word that came to us months ago. Pastor Mark brought it to a staff meeting. But we discerned that that according to God's promptings, that in this region there is a slumbering spirit. What that means is God's people are sleeping. Now the scripture is very clear about this, and we'll talk about this in weeks to come. But you can still be a Christian and still be asleep. You can have a slumbering spirit. It's like you're kind of doped up a little bit, and you just don't know what's going on. And you're doped up by the world. The world's got some hooks in you, man. And as a result of it, you're not awake. And so here's the question I'd have for you on a scale of one to 10, one being the least aware of God's goodness and who you are in him, and 10 being the most aware, the most awake to God's goodness and who you are in him. Where are you now? now let me point something out to you. Say, for instance, on horrible days, you're down here in one and two. And in good days, you're up here in three and four. But when you get to a four, you think this is incredible. This is amazing. You don't know it's a four. You think it's a 10. Because you don't know that five through 10 even exists. You know why? Because you haven't experienced God that way yet. And I would venture to say that when we get to heaven, we're going to go to a million. Anybody say amen to that? We're going to be like, oh, my gosh, was I wrong about a ton of stuff. But thank you, Lord. But we're going to be fully awake because when we see him face to face, we'll know fully even as we're fully known. But in the meantime, what we're praying is that God would take us from threes to fours and from fours to five and from fives to sixes that we would awaken, the word for this is revival, that we would come alive in Christ. Now, this requires that we change our lives, folks. There's there's no way around it. And I want you to know there's a couple things that I want you to do. Here's the first one. I want you to know the Holy Ghost. Somebody back there loves the Holy Ghost. That's awesome. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. We are talking about encountering the truth of who God is and the truth of who we are in him. And apart from the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost in your life, you are dead in the water. So here's the thing. If you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, You have not confessed Him as Lord and Savior of your life. You've not invited Him into your heart. Guess what? You do not have the Holy Ghost. But when you invite Jesus Christ into your heart, He brings this counselor to you. And the counselor is the one who prompts you from the inside out. Tracy and I, a few weeks ago, were in the midst of doing something, and we were in one of our little uh, materialistic kind of slumbers. We were looking at furniture and all kinds of things. You been there, done that? And like inside of me is this kid's like, oh, I want one of these, I want one of these, I want one of these, I want one of these. And I've done that before. And years ago, I used to put it on credit cards. Guess what I have now? The Holy Ghost. So I'm in there and the Holy Ghost is going, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) He's flailing his arms. He's going, danger, danger, danger. And I'm like, Tracy, are you feeling this? She's like, I'm feeling it too. I'm like, get the heck out of here. The question is, do you feel prompted to steer out of trouble? Are you walking into the same trap over and over and over again? Why? Because when you walk into those traps, the world's ways will put bondage on you, and then you will start feeling this weight, and you will not experience freedom. Sin leads you into captivity. The Holy Ghost leads you into freedom. This is kind of a weird term. You know, years ago, 50 years ago, everybody referred to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he's a ghost. Not Casper. How many of you remember Casper? Casper the friendly ghost, right? No, I mean, there are ghosts. There are demons. There are evil spirits. But there is a Holy Ghost. And when you receive Christ, that ghost comes and lives in your heart. And it is your seal for the day of redemption and he lives inside of you and he guides you according to the truth of God you must know the Holy Ghost you must give yourself over to the Holy Ghost and when you give yourself over to the ghost, that means you've got to give up control. You also have to focus on Jesus, not yourself. The scripture is very clear. Therefore, since we are, have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily tangles, that we just talked about a little bit, and let us run the race with endurance, the race that set it before us and fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know what steals your joy? You're far too concerned about what other people think of you. You know how I know that? Because that's me. And you know, when you're far too concerned about what other people think about you, that's called self-absorption. You are self-focused. I remember years ago, I talked to a counselor, and I'm like, I can't believe this person thinks this about me, and this person thinks this about me, and this person thinks about me. And she said, stop, Jeff. I said, what? She said, people are far too self-absorbed to be thinking about you all the time. Do you realize the truth in that statement? You're like, oh, I wonder what Midge thinks of me. I wonder what Barry thinks of me. I wonder what he's going to say about me. They're too self-absorbed to be thinking about you all the time. And you know what? When you give your power away to people and do what you think that they want you to do, you are worshiping them. You are supposed to have one master, one leader, and that is Jesus Christ, your Lord. Lord and you listen to him, and when you listen to him, he guides you into all righteousness for his name's sake, but that means you must take risks, trust the Holy Ghost, focus on Jesus, and you must repent in him, turning over all bitter roots and idols. Now look, I can't get into all of this today, but this is in your reading this week, and I want you to understand what a bitter root is. I want to explain that to you briefly. Now, bitter root is not what you think initially, although bitterness in the heart is part of a bitter root. Bitterness, if you have bitterness towards somebody else, that means that you've practiced unforgiveness to the point of resentment. I'm going to say that again. If you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody else, you have practiced unforgiveness to the point of resentment. And believe me, I am a master at this. Anybody say amen? This is my flesh, warring with the spirit of God. Because he says, you are to forgive each other the way I have forgiven you. So you know what it happens if you're married, if you're a parent, if you're a child, you get hurt by your spouse, you get hurt by your kid, you get hurt by your parent. And by the way, God never promised you that you weren't going to get hurt. But what you do is you rehearse that hurt and you nurture that wound and you call it like your little child and you hold it like a baby and you think. By holding on to it, you're protecting yourself. Resentment is the acid that destroys the person on which it's poured as well as the vessel in which it's stored. And that's you. And that's me. So we must cry out to God and repent of bitter roots in relationships. But I want you to understand that it means more than that. In Hebrews twelve fifteen. see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. We're supposed to protect ourselves as a family that way. If you turn to Deuteronomy 29, verse 16 through 18, you get an answer. You yourselves know how we lived in Egypt and how we passed through the countries on our way here. Remember, we just talked about the Exodus. You saw among them their detestable images and their idols of wood and of stone and of silver and gold. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God and goes and worships the God of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. A bitter root is an idol. And if you turn yourself over to anything other than God, it's going to squelch your ability to worship him because it is a burden. You are worshiping false gods. Well, Jeff, I don't have like carved little tikis in my, I don't bow down to statues. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you bowing down to your car. I'm talking about you worshiping your house. I'm talking about you worshiping your bank account. I'm talking about you turning to alcohol to medicate away your emotions when you really should be turning to God and taking that stuff to him. I'm talking about porn. I'm talking about the the epidemic, even in the Christian church culture, not just among men, but among women as well now, to turn to more and more sensuality and sexuality with a continual lust for more. You know what the scripture says? Having lost all sensitivity, they gave themselves over to every form of sensuality with a continual lust for more. He said it's killing you. It's it's causing you to be numb. Take it away. By the grace of God, take it away. That means you have to cry out to God. And you have to ask him to rid you of all idols, all bitter roots, all resentments. You see, this is called repentance. And repentance means nothing more than turning away from whatever it is you're pursuing and turning to Jesus Christ. (laughs) and and I want to say this like you may be worshiping your spouse by the way your spouse probably does not want to be worshipped but you may be giving way too much power to that person you married that doesn't mean go be disrespectful it means take them off of the altar of your life and put Jesus Christ there This is Christian notion somehow that you're supposed to, like, as a good Christian wife or as a good Christian husband, you're supposed to do everything that your wife wants or everything that your husband wants. Can I tell you, that's a lie from the pit of hell. You're supposed to trust Jesus Christ. And so you talk that out together. You submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. But if you're walking around like a little dog attached to somebody else's leash, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping them. We'll talk more about that later because I can tell some of you are like a deer caught in headlights. You're like, what did he just say? Look, you need to let go of the illusion of control and trust God. How many of you have control issues? Raise your flipping hand now. (laughs) Every single one of you. Oh, I don't have control issues. He's the controlling one. No, maybe you just control differently. Some of us control in a very loud, boisterous way. Others of us control in a very soft, manipulative way. But we all have control issues because we're all afraid. And when you're afraid and you don't trust God, then you turn to other things, including yourself. I'm going to get the job done. Frankly, God, you're just moving a little too slow for me. I can't believe you've given me this kind of husband, but I am going to whip him into shape. <laughs> Father, I don't know what you were thinking when you gave me this woman. All she does is nap, 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 nap at me. But I'm going to fix this, God and then what do you do? You run full force into a flipping brick wall, and you do it over and over and over again. You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. That's what you need to let go of, because it's an illusion. You are not in control. God is in control, and can I tell you how much energy you spend trying to maintain control that you think that you have no control over? You waste so much strength because I know this. I do too, folks. And when I take that burden and I transfer it on to Jesus Christ, I can't tell you the freedom that I feel. Now, God, I give you my son. I give you my daughter. I give you my, you know, you just go through the whole thing, but we have to let go of this illusion of control and turn it over to God. Now look, I wanna do a brief summary of our entire eight weeks. So you gotta be with me in this. If you want, you can take out your little refrigerator magnet. Briefly look at that. But we're gonna spend... The next seven weeks, talking about seven Hebrew words. These Hebrew words are all over the scripture. and It's very important that we understand these words. Reason being is because when we talk about the word praise, we say praise. But when you read your scriptures and they have the word praise, there could be one of seven different Hebrew words. The richness of the language is not reflected in your text when you read it at times. So that's why you need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. But in this, we're going to talk about seven words that mean praise. And they're not just positions of the body. They're postures of the heart. Now, can I tell you that God has been using this understanding to change the way that I talk to him, to change the way that I pray, the way that we go to the altar. Remember, the altar fires are still burning. Keep those altar fires still burning. But this will change the way that you go to the altar. This will change. God will use this to change the way that you worship him. If you take, listen to the Holy Spirit and allow these postures to take residence in your heart, okay? So you can go ahead and put your stuff down. I want everybody to stand up. I told you, you're getting uncomfortable. So who wants to come dance in front of everybody? No, I'm not going to do that, I promise. What we're going to do is we're going to start softly. If you can stand, I'd encourage you to stand. If you can't stand, you can just do this from your seated position. That's great, okay? So we're going to go through seven Hebrew words, and each one of them has a physical posture associated with it. And these are all from the scripture. The first one is Yada. Do this. And say yada. yada. Yada means to raise your hands in praise and surrender before God. Universal sign of surrender is raising your hands. What do you do? You show them. I am laying down all oppositional arms and forces against you. God, I surrender my entire life to you. I lay down my pride. I lay down any opposition that I have to you, and I turn myself over to you now. This is the word yadah. Say it after me. yada. Okay, so this is yada. Keep standing. This is halal. Okay, so halal means to be clamorously foolish and boastful for God. That little girl, Laura Lolling, she was halaling all over the place, was she not? So halal is this rude word that means I am going to be a fool for God. David was dancing before God, right? And he was criticized for it. His wife criticized him and said, don't you know how undignified you look? And he said, you know what he said? I will become even more undignified for the glory of my God. Amen? Amen? So start halaling around a little bit, all right? You know, start loosening up a little. Clamorously foolish and boastful for God. So yada and halal. Okay, now this next word is incredibly beautiful. This is very sacred. This is toda, And it literally means to extend hands like this, toda, And toda means to thank God for things not yet received. So Lord Jesus, I praise you for my son Noah's wife that you've prepared for him. I thank you, Lord God, for my daughter Michaela's husband. I praise you, Lord Jesus, for what my marriage to your precious daughter Tracy will look like five, 10, or 15 years down the road. I thank you, Lord God, that you have made us oaks of righteousness. You see, I'm thanking God for things that have yet to come. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you for what this body will look like six months from now, completely different because of who you are. This means you trust God with your future, todah. All right, you ready? Yada. Yada, halal, Yada. toda, todah. Shabbak. Ah. Yeah, you can put your hand up like this. Ready? shabak. Ah. Shabak means to shout to God for the glory of God. Let's hear a nice big shabak. shabak. Right, that was good. That was really good, Ron. Awesome shabbak in there, okay? <laughs> Not to be confused with shemokin. This is in. <laughs> now, look, the scripture says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ right so there's something extremely powerful when we proclaim boldly the truth of who God is for the glory of God and this is something that God calls us to do is to proclaim with boldness who he is and his truth of his word and so on and so forth so let's go through them all Yedah? Yedah. Halal. Halal. Todah? Shabbat. Shabbat. all right you got it now Barack not to be confused with Barack Obama <laughs> is to kneel before God in reverence and submission. So this is the word in Psalm 103, when he says, praise the Lord, O my soul, my inmost being, praise his holy name. He's saying, I bow in reverence and submission before you, God. I kneel before you. This is like this. Say Barak. 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 So yada. Barak. Halal. Halal. toda, toda. shabak, toda. Barak. Okay, now zamar... I do that. Well, you can do that. You can do this too if you want. You can do this if you want, like Andrew does. <laughs> this is to play instruments for the glory of God. And we'll talk very powerfully how God has created the gift of music to move us in such incredible ways. And the last one is tahila. Sound a little bit like the Ricola commercial, does it not? Yeah. Ricola. Right? So tahila. As to sing to God, to make a joyful noise. Now, some of you don't think you can sing at all. And guess what? You probably can't. But here's the truth. (laughs) God said, make a joyful noise before him. And so we've been challenged recently in one of our tent meetings, if you sing poorly, sing all the more loudly. You see, this means we're called to sing to God. Why? Because he's singing to you. Do you know the scripture says that God rejoices over you with singing, he quiets you with his love? God sings, and we sing after him. So you ready? Yada, halal, todah, shabak, barak, zamar, tahila. Okay, I'm gonna ask the team to come back up in way of closing today. You can go ahead and keep standing And I want you to understand something. Over the course of these next now seven weeks, we're really not asking you to do anything except trust God more. And what we're asking you to do is let go of stuff. Jesus invites you and he says, look, take off that heavy burden. Lay it down. He says, I got a light yoke for you. I'm gonna carry this thing. I'm gonna guide this thing. I'm the responsible one. Just trust me. And when you, when you lay off, when you, when you lay down baggage, I know it's scary because some of us are very accustomed to our baggage. But when you lay it down, you have a lighter load and, and you stand more upright and you kind of go, wow, this feels amazing, God. He says, yeah, I have more for you. Now I have fours. Now I have fives. Now I have 5.5s. Now I have sixes. And there's always more with God. Today we're going to sing a special song in way of closing. It's called Let It Happen. It says this, you're full of life now. You're full of passion. That's how he made you. Just let it happen. You're full of life. You're full of passion. That's how he made you, son or daughter of the Most High God. You just got to let it happen. He calls each one of us by our names to come away. And he whispers to our hearts to let it go and to be alive. You see, this is the invitation of God to be alive. Now, one part of the song says this, take me back, back to the beginning. When I was young, running through the fields with you. So wherever it is that you know you feel free, while you're singing this, I want you to say, God, is there more for me? And I want you to hear him say, without unquivocally, without a doubt, oh my gosh, there's so much more for you. And I also want to encourage you to do this. When we worship today, I want to encourage you to come forward to the altar. You know, feel free to come forward. Fill in this space and yada. You can even halal as long as you don't bump the people next to you. You know, you can toda. You can maybe throw out a few shibaks as long as you're not hurting people's ears. You can just feel free to come forward and let the Spirit guide you to worship. You can feel free to walk around the space if you want. That's okay. We are free. Because the sun set us free. And if the sun sets you free, we are free, Father, thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you. We pray now, Lord Jesus, we would begin to walk in that freedom and to trust you, to take great risks for the glory of you, our great God. In Jesus' name. Amen.